Today we have Emily Courtright and Adam Roberts on the show. Are you tired of working hard and not achieving the financial freedom you are searching for? Have you ever dreamed of being able to do anything you want with your finances and with your time? That's what Emily and Adam were looking for when they took control of their own destiny. By investing in real estate, these two highly trained aerospace engineers found a way to reach true financial independence. They want to pass on their knowledge and help people like you find the same freedom through smart investments. Listen and learn. Are you looking to invest in multifamily real estate and want to learn? Go to join.darrenbatchelder.com, sign up, and start your journey. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Emily Courtright and Adam Roberts before we start the show. Emily and Adam are married. They have a young daughter and they live in the DFW area. They were both aerospace engineers who found financial freedom through investing in real estate. They have a proven track record. And more importantly, they have a heart for helping others reach their goals. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today we have a very special guest, actually two guests. We've got Emily Courtright and Adam Roberts. Appreciate you guys coming on the show. Thanks, Darren. We are honored to be invited. Thank you. Absolutely. So just a little bit on how we know each other. Uh, we're both part of the, well, all three of us are part of the same um, multifamily mentorship group, the Brad Sumrock group in, in the Dallas market. And um, I met both of them when I was very new to the space about five years ago. And um, these guys have been killing it since. So I'm very interested to hear what they've been up to. So with that, um, can you, each of you guys just share a little bit on your background, um, a little bit on your background and, you know, why did you get involved in multifamily? Yes. Thanks, Darren. And again, my name is Emily Courtright. This is my husband, Adam Roberts. And we got into real estate investing because I, well, first I watched my dad go through a, um, a life-changing event where he, he, he got, he had worked at his job for 30 years and he was not able to retire yet because he had only invested in stocks and mutual funds. And that was supposed to provide for his retirement. And he, this was 2009 and he could not retire after 30 years in a physically demanding job because of his investment strategies. He had to work for an additional five years. And so I watched that process happen and I was like, that, that is not going to be me. We, we are going to do something different. I don't know what it is yet, but we're going to do something different. And luckily I met Adam here and he introduced me to, he, he invited me to an investing class and I show up and I find out it's a real estate investing class. And I'm like, what are we doing here? Like, we're not going to invest in real estate. We're, we're engineers. Like we, we work corporate jobs. We're climbing the corporate ladder. And he's like, no, no, just stay, just listen <laughs> and I'm so glad I stayed because that two hour class 
literally changed our lives. And it started a, a, a quest for knowledge and it showed us how real estate investing can provide for a very solid retirement and can provide a lifestyle. And, and this was this was back in 2010. Emily and I came from the aerospace industry. We were engineers, manufacturing operations, um, like she said, corporate athletes. And so going going to a weekend event on real estate investing was like you, you just didn't tell your coworkers about that. Like they they look at you funny. So but to Emily's point, it was it was just fantastic. Mm-hmm. I just so I didn't realize that both of you guys were were aerospace engineers. I thought you both were single family realtors. Well, we got into the multifamily space. Yeah, yeah, we we started. So when we moved to Texas, um, uh, the company we worked for in aerospace ended up divesting our our manufacturing. So you, you both you both worked for the same company. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. We worked at GE. Is that where you met? Yes. We met at a fondue oh. party. A work party, yeah. <laughs> All right, so, I, dig- I digress. Yeah, right, yeah. So, but we moved to Texas um, when our company, GE, uh, closed its doors on the West Coast. I found another aerospace job in Fort Worth, and uh, Emily did not go back to corporate. Uh, she just started uh, buying rentals and flipping houses. So you are correct, Darren. We, we did, uh, before we met in multifamily, uh, we did about five years or so of single-family investing and built up a small rental portfolio and, and did a whole bunch of uh, fix and flips. So, Gotcha. Um, I, I'm so glad to hear that story. I mean, I think it's, you know, the story about your dad and after 30 years of, of working, he wasn't able to retire. I, I think there's so many people out there that it's not, it could be their parent that's going through it or it could be them. You know, for, for me, it was, look, I, I put 10, 20% aside all the time and was climbing the corporate ladder and, and it just didn't grow as fast as I was kind of told it would. Right. And, um, so that, so that's, that's awesome. And, um, so now you guys are invested, maybe share how many properties, how many units you guys are invested in, because you, you guys have come a long way. Mm-hmm. We have, and over the past six years, we've done eight large multifamily syndications, so group purchases. We currently still have six of those properties and that totals about 1,400 units. We also invest as passive investors. So we, we took our retirement funds, we put them into self-directed accounts, and then we took some of the investable cash that we, we knew we wanted to set aside for retirement. And we've invested so far in 17 passive investments. Wow. Totaling wow. over 4,000 units. And, and literally like that's our retirement plan that that money will snowball and will continue to roll over and grow to to really meet our goals for our future. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, it's crazy how one, you know, it's taking the first step, mm-hmm. right? You, you had no, did you have any idea that you'd be invested in 4,000 units passively, 17 deals and and over 1400 units as a, as a general partner. Oh, every time we, every time we make financial decisions and look at, um, you know, the movement of money or investing in, in this asset or that, I, I always look at Emily and I'm like, did you ever think, you know, cause we, we both grew up in, in households that were modest working class households. And, 
um, you know, as they say, raised right and and uh, that kind of thing. But that that those topics were never discussed. And so this is right. more or less that you're right. It's an eye opener when when you think about it. It's it's an eye opener and. And look, I've interviewed a lot of people that have 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 units. And when I ask, like, what was the scariest investment? A lot of times it was like that first investment, that first single family or that first passive deal or that first, you know, syndication deal where they were a GP. Like the first time doing anything is scary. And then after you did it the first time, you're like, okay, well, what's next? You know, right. we could do something bigger. We can do something different. And, and it kind of snowballs. And then like what you guys are doing right now, you're sharing your story. It turns out to be not just about growing your wealth, but like teaching other people how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically Emily spends maybe 80% of her time um, helping others get involved. Uh, because to your point, either people don't know about it or once they know about it, there's a fear factor or there's a lack of education or there's a lack of trust, but that's Emily's focus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually, before we hit record, Emily says she's traveling tomorrow because she's teaching. Right. Yes. And, and you know, that's, that's something. Do you get paid a check for that? Actually, no. I didn't ask you that before, but no. right. you don't. You don't no. get paid a check. For I don't. That, right? I spend money to do they're, it. Yeah, they're reimbursing. Right. My you, spend, life. you spend money to do that, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. No, and this this has been a big passion of mine because uh, I've when I moved to Texas and started single family investing, I got my real estate license and went with a Keller Williams office that's local to DFW, and that office has just been. Um, I have learned from other investors in that office. They have supported me through my investing goals over the years, and I have become the investor in the office. So ever, probably about five years ago, I started teaching investing classes and it started with single family investing classes. Now it's multifamily investing classes. And then it branched into wealth building classes in general. And because of the, because of COVID and Zoom coming out so much more common, now I'm teaching virtually across the nation at Keller Williams offices. And Memphis was so impressed with my virtual presentation. They're like, we want to fly you in to teach two classes. And um, so it's been a great, a great learning opportunity, a great networking opportunity. And, in, and the ability to get real estate agents involved in real estate investing when a lot of times they just don't know where to start. And so a lot of my right. classes revolve around how do, how do you start in real estate investing? That's, that's huge. And I, and I can attest that Emily is a giver. Like the first time I met her was at a, it was an old capital event, a networking event and a speaking event. And we're in the lobby and we knew we were in the same group and we're just talking. And I shared a challenge, you know, being new, I was trying to get a property budget from a property management company and I wasn't getting the response. And she was like, just do this, reach out to this guy. And ne so next day I did and I got the response and I was like, so thankful. And she didn't get anything for that. She wasn't part of the deal. She wasn't part of, you know, my, but she just wanted to give back, you know, and, and so that that's huge. Um, so thank you for that. Um, thank you. Hey, talk about some of the learning lessons. I mean, you, you learn along the way, um, you know, you learn how to, 
you know, push yourself, you learn, and you also learn by managing these properties. So maybe talk about some of the learning lessons and how you tackled some of the challenges that came along the way. Um, I think one of the biggest lessons we've learned, um, and we continually talk about this because Darren, to your point, there's always the next deal, right? There's always, you know, we learned that there's a whole lot of trust and relationships involved when you're, when you're investing your retirement funds, your hard-earned cash into, uh, into any investment or other people's deals, essentially. Um, that's our biggest learning lesson. We, to Emily's point, we invest in other investors' uh, properties, and uh, we started doing that early just as a learning experience. And when we look back at our portfolio of, of uh, let's call it passive investments, um, the ones that have done the best are the folks we have the best business and personal relationships with. We know their teams the best. We know their track record. Uh, and then on the other side, the ones that haven't done the best or, you know, maybe we just got our principal back. Um, you know, we look at each other like, man, I, you know, yeah, I had a, I had a SEC compliant relationship with that person, but that's about it. Um, I didn't really know their team, their track record of success. And so I always tell folks, man, before, you know, before you invest with me, let's get to know each other, ask some other folks about my track record or my reputation, because I, I now do the same thing for my own investment funds. And then I would say through our journey, one of the things we did from the beginning is we both were the asset managers on a property and we shared all of the responsibilities. And that was great for getting to know all the different aspects of the business but it created a lot of uh, conflicts because something would come up and it's like, well, are you going to manage it? Am I going to manage it? I would manage it this way and you would manage it that way. And, you know, we would butt heads on things. And so about- You guys would butt heads? (laughs) Can you believe it? (laughs) Because Darren, I didn't didn't know until someone told me that she's always right. (laughs) (laughs) No, we just, we have very different management styles. And so- we learned from some of the other husband and wife groups that we work with that we really had to divide our roles and responsibilities, create the swim lanes and make sure that we each knew what our role was in the business. And we made a distinct, like it was a January, it was January of 2020. And we said, we've got to do something different this year. And so we divided up the roles and responsibilities. Adam is now focused on operations and working with the property management company, the CapEx implementation. I do more of the back end. I do the banking. I do the investor relations. I do the um, acquisitions. acquisitions. And after that, the relationship and the ability to work together was so much smoother. The property started doing better. Go figure. <laughs> well, because we weren't, nothing was slipping through the cracks. Yeah. Um, and so that was a huge lesson learned for us over the years because we, we wanted, we both wanted to do it all at the beginning, but finding those distinct swim lanes and roles and responsibilities was really a game changer that allowed us to work better together. That's great. I mean, uh, any husband wife combos that are, you know, considering getting into into this space and both being active, that that is great, great, great advice. Um, and the ones that are not a husband-wife combo, that same advice can be applied to your partners, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, 
you, you pick partners to work with. And if you can divide up responsibilities within those partners, because like you said, it's not just husbands and wives that have different ways of managing things, right? You're going to handle something some one way and he's going to handle it a different way. It's the same with, with business partners, right? So, you know, if you can divide that up and then focus on what you like to do and then somebody else that's a partner focuses on what they like to do and it's, it's, it's what you don't like to do. That's the best of both worlds. Sure is. Um, so I remember I was, I was on a networking event with you guys and, you know, Emily, you brought up something. This was, you know, we're getting into a little bit of detail now, but it was on one of your deals and it had to do with utility bills. And it was something I hadn't heard anybody else talk about. So can you share a little bit about that and what kind of impact that had? Mm -hmm. And so our second deal, it was an all bills paid property. And which, which means that the tenants just pay one bill per month and the owner is responsible for water, sewer, water, sewer, trash, uh, electricity and gas. And that is unique because that means that any savings that we realize on our utility bills go directly to our bottom line. And so for this property we own in, in Northwest Dallas, it was a 208 unit. We did a water conservation program. We put in low flow toilets, low flow shower heads, and low flow aerators on the faucets. And that project cost us about 110,000 to outfit the entire property. And almost immediately, the water bill cut in half. It cut from 22,000 a month to 11,000 a month. And it essentially saved us that year, 120,000 of savings. So when you talk payback periods, the payback period was less than one year, which is pretty phenomenal. The savings on the water bill increased our profits, which then increased the asset value by probably about three to $4 million just from doing that one project. Oh, and that's crazy. We did the same thing with electricity. The electricity wasn't as impactful, but doing the combination of the water savings and the electricity savings with LED lights uh, just smart thermostats. and smart thermostats mm -hmm. launched the asset value because we were saving so much on utility bills and getting to realize all those savings because it was an all bills paid property. Yeah, that's, that's huge. And, and some people would also argue even in a non all bills paid property where, where you're billing back to the tenants, you know, there's some people that will argue that, look, if you're able to save the tenant money in the other income, the bill back on utilities, they have more ability to pay a higher rent. Um, so the combination between the rent and the, the bill back that, you know, some tenants will hit a ceiling where they can't afford to pay anything more. Um, hey, in addition to, to that, so that's, that's huge. And most, most people that I talk to focus on the top line, you know, renovate the interiors, get the higher rent. And, and that's, so that's one way to increase the value of the property. The second way is to save, you know, save money in the expenses. And, and that's, a, that's a huge valuation. I mean, three to $4 million, nothing, nothing to sneeze at. Um, but in addition to, to that play, there was something that you guys 
felt like something was off. And I don't know if it was on this property or if it was on a different property, um, on utilities. And then you guys did an audit. And based on that audit, you found that something wasn't right. I don't remember yeah, the details. Yeah, I it do, may, I do it remember. may have, you do I, remember. It I may do have remember, been like, yeah. Yeah, and this is this um, is kind of a this is one of those good asset management learning experiences. Kind of trust, yeah. and verify. We uh, on the first asset that we bought um, and have subsequently uh, sold. Uh, we um, that that was Darren, as you as you described, that was a property that was not all bills paid, and the tenants actually paid their own electricity. They had to call the electric company, set up their own service, and things like that. Well, when a unit's vacant, uh, the the property the owners have to apply. Uh, uh, an electric uh, contract on the unit. So um, we'll have anywhere from 10 to 20 vacant units at any given time. So we have 10 to 20 utility bills coming in for those units and the owners pay that because it's vacant. Um, And what we had happening was residents would move in. Our leasing staff would say, okay, uh, we need you to get your own electricity. And some residents would either because they forgot or they're smart, (laughs) they would just not do that. And so I spent a period of time, um, actually for one unit, it was over six months, uh, wow. paying for somebody's electricity. <laughs> and wow. uh, I can't, I can't quite recall the details of how I discovered that, but, um, you know, for us on our properties, uh, obviously financials are always reviewed, uh, typically every 30 days, but I, I also do a process with every property and the management company every quarter. So four times a year. I go in and I review the budget items that are just, you know, way out of bed, right? You know, um, and that helps because some 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 expenses you can't look at on a month to month basis. You need more data, uh, and I think I believe that's how it happened. We looked at the electricity bills that I was paying, and I said, okay, over a three month period, we've only got ten vacant units. There's no way that I'm spending unless unless the ACs are cranking and there's parties right. going on. Um, and so, yeah, we had to go back to those folks and say, Hey, here's the bill. Um, <laughs> pay, pay me. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, look, uh, uh, that's, that's, you know, what you get if you're actually, so there's the property management company and then you as the owner are asset managers right. and you have to review the financials. That's, that's, that's you know? exactly and if, you, right. if you're yeah. not reviewing the financials, you know, the property management companies may, you know, they may just not know, right? And they're just paying the bills and they're, they're doing their job, but um, it's impacting the profitability of the property and the valuation that you guys are able to potentially resell yeah, or refinance into. I, I, I think anybody who, um, if you don't have this process in place, anyone who starts a quarterly review of the, especially the expenses, you can do it on the income side too, but especially the expenses, you learn a lot. You know, um, because we all we all look at the PL every 30 days and say, oh, yeah, that, that was over by 600 bucks. OK, that, that's cool. But if you look at it over a longer period of time, you may find some things that are pretty, you know, pretty significant. Right. Absolutely. Um, so you guys also I, I'm, we're going to talk more about multifamily, but I like the fact that you guys also have like interests outside of building wealth because I think that building wealth is something very important, you know, and, but look, you can't just, there's some people I talk to, that's all they're doing is just getting their number bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. But so Adam, I see him, he's flying around. Like he got his pilot's license 
and he's he's fly, he's flying around. So talk about why that was important and how maybe this helped you know you achieve that that goal. Yeah, I travel is a big part of our lifestyle. Um, and, and in parallel, I believe that we got into multifamily investing uh, because it's a lifestyle business. Uh, you can work when you want, you know, schedule your meetings when you want. You're your own boss. You, you run your own schedule. Um, but the pilot's license thing actually happened a long time ago. Uh, I did my first flight lesson in 1999. Holy cow. And I was actually, uh, the funny part, the funny thing about that story is uh, my mother would have to drive me to the airport because I didn't have a driver's license. I was too young. She would drive me to the airport so I could go fly a plane by myself. <laughs> um, because you can, in, in the state of Pennsylvania, uh, you had to be 17 to, to drive a car and you, you only need to be 16 to fly an airplane. So, Holy um, cow. yeah. So, uh, and I got my pilot's license back then. It's been a big part of my life. I never really took it. You know, I was a weekend warrior. I never really utilized the certificate until um, until maybe five or six years ago when, uh, you know, I just realized that I wasn't flying enough. And, and, it, and, and it is a hobby that requires you to stay very proficient because of safety reasons, obviously. So I decided to buckle down. I ended up uh, getting a flight instructor rating, a commercial pilot's license. Uh, multi-engine rating, the whole deal. Um, and, uh, but yeah, today we mainly travel with family um, all over the place. I mean, we, we love going everywhere. And multifamily investing has allowed us to buy ni- a nicer plane, a small plane, um, which we, you know, the first one was able to get us really well from like DFW to just outside DFW. Mm-hmm. The second plane we had <laughs> was able to get us really well to like Houston or the coast, um, but it would take eight hours to get you to Cincinnati or Florida. And then uh, we, we found the right partner. And as our multifamily business has accelerated, we've been able, we, and we had a baby. Um, so we needed to buy a pressurized small airplane so the baby wouldn't have to wear an oxygen mask. And so now we have a, a small six-seater plane that's fully pressurized. We go up to 31,000 feet. And we could take the baby, we can take the luggage and just travel. And still, we still try to maintain that lock and leave mentality uh, with, with our travel and just being spontaneous, like, okay, let's go away this weekend um, and, and keep, it, keep it fresh. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, I, I love that. I haven't gotten the invite in that six seater. You know. <laughs> the baby takes <laughs> up a lot of room one, somehow. <laughs> one, one, one day, one day. So, Talk about like what you, what you, your, I think mindset is such a big thing in, in going into these large multifamily deals. Um, how did you cross the, the divide from going to single family to multifamily? Because a lot of people I think have these, you know, limiting beliefs, these, these ideas in their head that that's for somebody else. It was a big jump. Uh, and, and the level of responsibility is leaps and bounds higher in multifamily because in single family, if we lost money on a flip, it was our money. If we bought the wrong rental property, it's our money. In multifamily, you are managing millions and millions of dollars of other people's hard earned funds. And they put a, there is a, there's a respect, there's a responsibility put on you 
to do the right thing with those funds and build them up for others. And so it's, it's the best feeling in the world to be able to give back returns and profits. Uh, but it, but the, the responsibility level was so high that we pursued a, an education program to learn how to do multifamily syndication. It's the same one uh, that you're in, obviously, and where we met. And looking back, that was the absolute best thing that we could have done to protect ourselves, protect our investors, to make sure that we're doing the right thing for everybody in the transaction to be fully knowledgeable on the process and the, the goals, the risks, and the analysis, everything like that. So we pursued education. It took us a year to get our first deal. So it was a year journey from the day we said, I want to go into multifamily till we got our very first deal. And, and a big portion of that was learning, meeting the right people, forming the right team. And we, so we, looking back, we, we took our time, we did it right. And it allowed us to be more successful going forward. Yeah. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. I think joining a, you know, a multifamily mentorship group is, is critical. Um, I think it shortens the time frame, you know, um, to be successful. It also surrounds you with people that have been successful. So um, I don't know about you guys, but for me, once I, once I was around a lot of people that had done it, I'm like, look, they're smart, but I can do it too, mm-hmm. right? Like if I follow, follow what they did. Um, but if you're swimming alone, you know, it's, you can have a lot more of those negative thoughts where you may get, you know, at least I got a lot of encouragement from people saying like, look, you can do this. Just take the next step, you know? And, um, you know, the other thing is I've had people reach out to me on Instagram or otherwise and say like, oh, I, you know, these, these groups are really expensive and look, they are, they're an, they're an investment in yourself. But I think, Otherwise, like, well, I'm not, I'm not an engineer, right? And and so I was always fearful of what if I buy a building that has structural issues that I don't know, you know, and no fault to my. And then so I would bring up that to other people in the group, and consistently the answer was that's simple, just you know, hire somebody to do the inspection that knows what they're doing. That you know we that we've all worked with. And then they gave me, you know, the referral to Brian Amos, you know? So like he was able to go out and bring his team and that's what he does for a living. And then give you advice on, so that's seemed like an insurmountable, you know, um, task, but it it really wasn't because you were able to find the right team member to come and help. Yeah. Yeah. And I specifically remember when we joined going to one of the first events and you had your property management company there. You had your insurance provider. You had your inspector. You had your lender. And you're like, I don't even have to shop. I don't need, I, right. like everything is right here. All the resources, all the team members I need for this business are right here in this room. And it it made it amazingly more. It it was like five less things I had to worry about yeah. while I was learning the business. And and Darren, your your point spot on the the abundance mentality in in a group like ours that that we're all in it really helps push you off the fence for certain risk aversions, which we all have, right? I mean, no, no one um, is completely averse, you know, or completely risk-free, right? We all have our fears, but yes, the group right. is very good at that. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, like 
had I been doing it alone, if I had bought, you know, a property, yes, I would have saved not having invested in that, you know, group. But maybe I bought a property that did have structural issues that I didn't know about. And <laughs> that would have cost, right. That would have cost me and my investors so much more. Right. So sometimes, you know, um, it could be a little short-sighted, yeah. you know, uh, so, um, talk about how you guys pick partners because I've seen you guys have, have picked really good partners. And so you're, you're very diligent on who you work with. Yeah. I, I think it really starts with business and both personal philosophy, uh, the way that folks, uh, work with and treat, uh, the residents and, uh, work with the property management firms. Um, and, and you can, you can, you can see that, you know, once you meet folks and you hang out with them a little bit, you get to know them, you start talking shop. I mean, you know, th these real estate events, that's all we really talk about, uh, is, is multifamily and operations and, and what's current events. And so you get to know how someone operates and what their expectations are, uh, of their investments and, and, and things like that. And, uh, that, that's a leading indicator for me. Uh, you'll never get to really know somebody a hundred, you know, totally a hundred percent until you start working with them. Um, but you really want to ensure that um, the scenarios that might come up, the challenges. I, I know there's a lot of folks today that are um, having balance sheet issues and lending issues and things like that. Uh, you want to make sure that everybody can see eye to eye on how to manage those things uh, prior to getting into a partnership. And and for us personally, the goals from the beginning when we got into multifamily was to do the asset management ourselves. And that was kind of a unique goal because one, we had never done it before. So for our very first on deal on multifamily yeah. and we, we were meeting potential partners and saying, we were very intentional with what we were looking for. Here are the roles we want to play. Here's the role we're looking for our partner to play. And the first six conversations we had, the answer was no. And it was, I either I'm working with somebody else or no, that's not my style. I can't just give you the reins. Like, I don't trust you. Um, and then we met, we had a phone call with our, who ended up being our partner, Aaron. And he said, I'd consider it, but let's get to know each other better. The phone call turned into lunch, which turned into dinner with him and his wife, which turned into uh, social events and concerts and through these, through these engagements, we talked roles and responsibilities. We talked compensation structures. He got to know our work ethic, our corporate background. And then he, he came to us and said, I agree. I would agree to work with you. And we made, we did it where he would look at anything over 200 for 200 units for himself. And we would look at anything under 200 units. So he would send us anything under 200 units. And that was the perfect partnership for us. And I think it was very important that we were intentional with what we wanted. And it's okay that we got no's because not everybody is the right partner. And because we wanted to learn, we wanted to do the asset management. Now, fast forward on deal number three, then we realized we want to leverage. We didn't want to do all the asset management ourselves. So we pursued a different partnership structure with another married couple who was able to split the asset management responsibilities 50-50. We had known them for three years. We built a relationship. And so that was a very um, solid 
foundation that we had with them before they then agreed to work with us. So we've, we've been fortunate, but we've also been intentional in here's what we're looking for, for in a partner and for our partner to do. And here's what we're interested in doing. And here's what we bring to the table. And I think that that's a really important aspect of finding the right partnership. Yeah, I, I completely agree is, you know, being intentional, telling people what, what you do, what value you bring, and what roles and responsibilities each of you are going to um, take on. And what you didn't say, but I, th- I think is, like, I'm sure you met some great people, mm-hmm. right? So, like, they're, you get, when you're looking for partners, you can meet great people, but they may not be the best partner for you. Like, that you may just be looking for something different in the business relationship, you know? So, you know, don't always just focus on, you know, hey, this is a person that I really like and respect mm-hmm. because if they want to do the same thing as you, it may be, it may all of a sudden add friction rather than be, you know, comfortable. So you were very intentional on what you were looking for and what value you guys were going to bring. So that, that's huge. Yeah. Um, and for people that haven't gone on, on these conferences or, or joined a, a multifamily mentorship group, it's, it's a little bit like speed dating. I mean, like you can, ha- you can get to these questions, these conversations really fast with people like, hey, I'm, I'm looking for deals in, in Dallas, 200 units and plus, and this is what I want to do. Like, does that fit? No, yeah. I'm, you know, I completely get it. All right, I'm on to the next. And it's, it's like you, after a while, you, it's going from, you know, having thick skin to just understanding that that's, you know, that's the game. That's the, you know, the whole thing about trying to weave through the room to find something that's going to work for both parties. Yeah. And I think that's one thing, um, you know, especially the conversations where you meet somebody maybe once or twice. So, you, so they're, they go from an acquaintance to someone, you know. And then all of a sudden, hey, there's a deal on the table, right? Um, I always find that interesting because uh, that's just not me. I, I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd ever be able to do it. And I, I'm also I'm a coach in the program that we're all in, and so I talk to a lot of students. And a lot of it happens a lot. A lot of folks will say, "Hey, I met this person. They seem like they're great." And then they called me the other week, and they've got a deal, and they want to partner with me. And I'm thinking, well, do what's comfortable. If you like the deal and if you know the person, do what's comfortable. But man, I just, I got to get to know the person a little bit and kind of understand where they're coming from. So, but you know, it's each their, their own. No, I get it. I've had somebody like uh, from Instagram say, I got this deal in the Midwest. Like, you know, we want to partner. I'm like, I don't even know you. Like, (laughs) like next time you're in Dallas, let's get together for coffee. Exactly. You know, start there. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think that, uh, you know, you guys are going from building your own wealth to now, and you're, gonna, you're continuing to do it because you like to do it, and you're going to be building generational wealth, but now you're helping other people. Um, how, this is a tricky question because I ask people this question, and people are like, well, I don't ever want to pressure people into getting it. And I'm not, I don't want to pressure people into doing something either. But I think that this world is so different than take your money and put it into a 401k. And like, so I want to get the word out and I want to help people to, because it is scary doing your first deal. You know, it is scary. 
So how do you help people? I don't care if they do it with me or they do it with you guys or they do it with you know somebody else, but this is a completely different world and the returns are phenomenal. And so I wanna let other people know that they can do it. So how do you help somebody in that situation? Because there's people that, you know, analysis paralysis, they're just going to, you know, continue to be scared to take the next step. When, when I teach in my classes, one of the slides that I show is our passive investing journey. And it's a little bar chart about the cash flow that the passive cash flow that we got year over year as we started our journey. And I think seeing it helps people realize like this isn't a get rich quick, you know, it's not a one year, double your money. This is, this is a long-term game. And some of the returns come sooner. Some of the returns come later. But what you, what, what I show in this graph is like, okay, we invested a hundred thousand that first year. And then we got $1,300 of cash flow. And then we invested another 100,000. And then the next year we got like 10,000 of cash flow. Like, ooh, it's getting better. And then COVID hit and the cash flow went down and then it went back up. But then on the five-year mark, three of our deals sold. Our passive deals went full cycle. And we went from making this measly, you know, $10,000 a month, a year to almost $260,000 in passive income in one year, just because three of the deals sold. And then when they see that, they're like, well, wait, like you didn't have to do any work for that. You didn't have to like, no, you just got to set money aside and let it work for you. And then you talk about like your goal. My goal looking forward is that every year, one to two or three deals will sell because I'm in so many that it's, it's a numbers game every year, a couple will sell. And then this is my, this is my retirement plan. This is what's going to grow better than stock markets. It's going to, you know, be there for me, their assets, they're fairly protected. And I think when they see that, that like, that's journey, a powerful graph. It sounds like it opens their mindset to like, okay, I may not see the returns next year and I may not see them in two years from now, but in five years from now, I am going to be really, really happy that I invested in multifamily. Right. And what everybody is probably doing too is they're saying, all right, they put in a hundred thousand. I've got either double that or I've got half of that. They're, so they're 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 taking your your numbers and your graph, and in their mind, they're mentally thinking about their personal situation mm-hmm. and how they how theirs would look. And you know, I, I I I love that because it's just helping other people see that there's another way. And the other thing is, is that I don't think that people have to do go all in, you know, like, look, you have right now, most people are, are conditioned and are taught to put all your money in 401ks and mutual funds and stocks. Just take a piece out and try, mm-hmm. you know, and see which is working better for you, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so it's, it's just a matter of trying to help educate other people. So um, with that, you brought up, Adam, you know, current events. So do you, you guys have, are in a lot of deals. Do you have any deals that have floating rate debt? I mean, we've just went through, you know, the, the largest increase in interest rates in the last year plus yeah. that we've ever had 
You know, so there are multifamily deals that are negatively impacted by having their debt service going up dramatically. So do you have any deals that fall into that camp? We do. Yeah. Three of our deals have uh, floating rate financing. Um, And so it's, it's interesting, Darren, I I don't know if you remember this, this is probably five years ago, if not longer, uh, you and I sat next to each other uh, at a real estate event on a bus and had this exact conversation about, did we? And we did, we did. And it was like, Hey, cause that was when people were starting to do more floating rate bridge financing. Yeah. Hey, what do you think with, with this, that, you know, crystal ball discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us, uh, you know, we knew uh, that to be competitive and to still participate in the marketplace, um, if we were going to participate, uh, that uh, we would, we would have to entertain the idea of doing the floating rate financing, bridge loans, uh, things of that nature, uh, you know, a loan product where you could get a lender to actually participate with you. Right. And, uh, the, I would say, again, the best part about being surrounded by people who know more than you and being in a room of people smarter than you is being prepared to take on those deals. And so we just make sure that we have things in place like additional cash balance sheet health. Um, you know, this may sound obvious, but a uh, interest rate cap insurance, right? To, to, to make sure that, hey, I know that the rate's going to go up, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay an additional insurance policy to make sure it only goes up to this value. And, and again, today, both on the operations side, as well as when we are raising money for new deals, we just make sure that, hey, I'm going to ask this investor for, for their hard-earned money. And I'm only going to ask for it one time. And so that just comes down to the balance sheet management, making sure that there's cash in the business to get through the other side of the economic storm. Not everybody has that foresight. And we just, we prioritize that. That's, that's important. Um, and, and I saw, because I have another business that trades loans between banks. And I, and I don't know if I talked to you about this in that conversation or not, but where I saw people get hurt in the 2008, 2010, 12, uh, great recession was in, in commercial real estate where when the loans come due and, you know, you're in a terrible economy and, and, you know, at that point the lender has all the leverage. And so that's the situation that some people are in, in right now. So I knew all that and, and I still got into a few deals that have floating rate debt as well. Like knowing full well that that's a risk and, you know, no one knew that it was going to be the largest increase in, in oh, yeah. you know, uh, ever, you know, in terms of interest rate increases. But, you know, two years prior, nobody knew that what would happen in a COVID yeah. situation either. And, and I, you know, we saw that everybody was scared, you know, I mean, I know I was scared owning multifamily at that point in time and, and uh, six months, a year later, everyone was like glad, you know, that they <laughs> held on. There. Right. <laughs> Wish you would have bought more. Right. And so I hope the situation is the same this time. We'll, you know, time will tell. But being able to weather the storm, that I think is, is key, is being able to weather the storm um, in whatever the storm is. It could be, you know, um, you know, higher interest rates. It could be, you know, um, lower occupancy. It could be, it, there's a lot of different things. It could be change. You know, I, I remember 
having a time where people are talking about it's really tough to get the right talent. You know, employees are leaving, you know, and moving over to a different property. And, and so there's constant challenges. Um, but yeah. you, know, you own an asset that is generating positive cash flow. So if, if it continues to generate positive cash flow, you're owning an asset where, you know, I have stocks too, and that stock goes down 20%. It has to go up 40% to, you know, in order to get break even. Um, yeah. And that's not the way it works on, on the multifamily side. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, it, it usually, you, you bring up the um, uh, analysis paralysis. There's always someone that will bring up the question, Hey, this looks great. Like, what am I missing? Or, you know, what's the worst thing yeah. that can happen? And to your point, I always tell people, well, I think the worst thing is just capital preservation because, and then they usually respond with, oh, you know, well, well, how, how so? And I'll say, well, you know, it, to me, if people live in my apartment complex and, and to your point, if it's a cash flowing asset, then the worst thing that could happen is I just, you know, my, my, my money's preserved, right? I own the asset. And then if, 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 if people start moving out and leaving Dallas and, oh my gosh, you know, Armageddon, well, then that could be a different situation. But do we see that happening? I, you know, you really have to ask yourself the question. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing is, can you continue to pay the mortgage? Can, can, can you, you know, if you can continue to pay the mortgage and hold on to the asset, the people that get in trouble are the ones that, you know, don't have the cash to pay the right. mortgage. Exactly. You know, if you can pay the mortgage, then, and to your point, that's where we pick our assets. You know, we didn't really talk about it, but the three, you know, things that I look for is first, the, I look for first the market. Some people look for first the sponsor. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, what market do I want to be in? I want to be in a market where people, there's growth. There's more people moving there. There's more jobs moving there. There's more income. Um, and then I want to work with good people that I know, like, and trust, you know, and then, and then third, look at the deal and right. the business plan. Um, but, uh, so you guys have done so much now you're, you're teaching people what's, what's kind of next for you guys. That's, that's uh, something we actually have recently been talking a lot about. Um, I think it's funny. We look back every five years, we do something a little different, even back to the corporate, um, environment. You know, and, and then when we left corporate, went to real estate. And then after we went to single family five years later, we jump into multifamily. And now it's magically five to six years later. Um, we're, we're having a lot of discussions on what we want our lifestyle to look like. Uh, let's let's call it five to 10 years out. And it's um, it's based a lot more on passive and like purely passive income lifestyle and being able to uh, enjoy more time with family and and, and and things of that nature and pursue the passions are what are now our side gigs yeah that are really evolving to be passions um and so we are what the other realization we had at the end of last year was that a like 99 percent of our wealth was in multifamily. like the investable money that we had was all in multifamily. and i'm in another wealth mastermind and one of the realizations that i had was that I need to be a little bit more diversified, whether it's 10% in, in something, you know, maybe achieving a little bit less returns, but safer, um, but still passive. And so we are in the process right now of taking some of those as the investable money comes back into our pool, 
we're investing them into uh, performing notes. And that provides a lot of cash flow, but is more on the passive side. So that has been a, a, a great learning experience. We're getting ready to buy a portfolio of five notes. And we've done, um, we've also, we're also doing some private lending in the, to local investors in the Dallas-Fort Worth market. So we're getting more into the, like the, we're making, we're being the lender, which is one of the safest people in any transaction and using that mentality as a, a little bit of a diversification method for us. That's, that's very cool. Um, just talking out loud now, like, so, um, look with your, your teaching, like you could, I know there's kind of a, there's a little bit of a bad stigma in terms of like creating a course or creating, you know, but you know, you could create something that is evergreen, you know, like with what you're doing with all the, all the Keller Williams realtors, you know, you could create some kind of course that people pay you know, to purchase and they're learning something that can change their life. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And you guys could be spending time with family while at the same time as somebody's. So it's, it's a, you know, you invest the time once to build that program and, you know, look, you have to have a little bit of thick skin because there's, there's always going to be haters saying like, Mm -hmm. Oh, you're just trying to make money off other people. But you know, at the, the reality is somebody has to invest the time and effort to put that together. And if you can help change somebody's life, you know, at a very reasonable price, um, then that could be some, anyway. Either, uh, no, I I, yeah. And I think the, the return for the person who does for the client, for the, for the customer, their right. return to your point earlier about, you know, dropping tens of thousands of dollars, the return yeah. is, is so much more significant. Than, than the, than the initial, initial, uh, you know, money out. Yeah. I mean, like what we paid, like I'm, I'm sure it would be anything that you got, you would develop would be priced significantly less and somebody mm-hmm. can, can, you know, achieve similar results, yeah. you know, then that that's huge. And, and you're a giver, you know, like, so <laughs> impact, the impact that you have on others, I think is more important than the, you know, the money. Um, you know, most likely for you guys, but it's still time and effort to mm. put everything together. Anyway, we didn't get come on the show to talk about that, but that's something that I think that's an opportunity for you guys based on wow. that. So, hey, how does somebody reach out to you and get to know you guys better? I think the best way would be our website, uh, aemultifamily.com. Okay. So very unique name. Very how did that come about? We were so creative that we took yes. Adam and Emily and just made A and E. And we I know there's an A and E TV show or TV they channel. They haven't reached out to us yet. Yeah, and there's A and E But uh yeah, A and E Real Estate Group is our entity and uh A and E multifamily is what we're operating under now. Yeah. And the and the website is doesn't have the and in it, it's just no. AE multifamily.com. But you know, hey, look, that's an important um Thing also, I think, you know, a lot of businesses, people think they have to create this am- amazing website and, and this, spend all this money on all this other stuff. But really it's finding, finding a good deal, bringing investors into the deal, giving them a good return, and then building up that reputation. And the other stuff, you know, just starts to, to come up, but it's not 
the initial focus. So like you don't have to go buy the, you know, sign a lease at this, you know, super high-end office complex and spend all this money on, you know, go out and, and learn how to do it. And then you start building a reputation. And it's, like you said, it's not a get quick rich, you know, scheme, but it, some people will say get rich. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. It takes, it takes time. It takes time. Well, I appreciate you guys coming on the show. Yeah. Um, you look, these, this couple is so down to earth and, and humble and um, just fantastic to be around. And they're, yeah, they're, and look, she's a little girl. If you can see her, she's a little girl. But, like, I've seen pictures of her on a motorcycle. Like, you don't want to mess yeah, with her don't either. Mess. She, she, don't mess with, with Emily, right? So um, definitely reach out to these guys. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing. Until next week, signing off. Thank you, Darren. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at DarrenBatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend.